0: hey podcast family today's episode we are going to be talking about some heavy heavy stuff take this as a trigger warning or a content warning for you that in today's episode we are talking about some pretty heavy statistics some pretty graphic details and just overall a really uncomfortable topic, and that's sexual abuse. So just for a moment, I want you to check in with yourself and see if you feel ready and comfortable to talk about this topic. If you're not, that's okay. I'm gonna encourage you to prepare yourself, ground, take the time you need, and then I'm going to invite you to come back to this episode. Because what we have to talk about is important, this topic is not talked about enough, and I'm not gonna be a hypocrite and not talk about it. The whole point of my podcast was to share numbers, share people's experiences, and overall destigmatize this. And this topic unfortunately affects more than what we think it does. So when you're ready, I want you to come back and I'm going to really encourage you to listen to what I have to say. This topic is important, it's valuable. And I think that surprisingly, it's going to help those of you out there that maybe feel alone and isolated, feel not so alone, and maybe feel somewhat supported as you go through this process. If you or someone you know is affected by sexual abuse or sexual assault, I just want to give you numbers because just looking at the numbers without making anything personal should infuriate you, should infuriate you is if you're a victim or if you're a friend or if you're an ally or if you're a therapist. So here are some numbers just to put into terms the prevalence of sexual abuse in this country. In 2020, the the National Organization of RAIN, which RAIN stands for Rape Abuse and Incest National Network, Um, It's it's one of the largest anti-sexual violence organizations here in the country. In 2020, they reported that every 73 seconds, someone is being sexually assaulted. And every one in nine kids is a victim as a child. Just statistically. Every nine minutes... There is a claim being reported for child sexual abuse. These are just simple statistics that are only being reported. This is not to mention anything of the unreported numbers because obviously we don't know them. There was an article I looked up. um, I did some research before this because Utah has gone back and forth on where we rank as kind of where, where we stand in the nation's sexual abuse list Um, but in 2020, Utah was ranked 11th and I I believe since 2015, that's been the highest we have ever been ranked, the highest in the most sexual abuse cases of children, 11th, 11th out of 50 States is the highest. Um, there was a, a news article that got published in Utah last year that stated, one in every two people will experience sexual abuse in their life. One in every two. And the the naive part of me, it's crazy to think because when I was in, when I very, very, very first started school, I remember having an instructor talk to me or talk to the class about sexual abuse and how this would come up in our profession. And this is something that in our assessments we have to assess for and we have to talk about. I will never forget the moment that the thought went across my mind to say, "Psh, I'm never going to have to work with someone who has been sexually abused. I look back on that moment and I wish to God that was true. And sadly, it's, it's how I have filled my caseload. The passion that I have is from working with mainly adults who have had some type of sexual abuse experience in their life. Majority of them have had it happen to them as children. And it just, it astonishes me how prevalent this is and how high the statistics are. And I think even hearing this, right, there's a, there's a part of you, especially if you haven't been a victim of sexual abuse, that you can easily brush it off to be like, well, that's not me, it doesn't affect me. I, my guess is most people that are out there listening know someone and can have already thought of them throughout this, like the six minutes you've been listening to this. And it just, it astonishes me that as a society, our numbers are this high. And it makes me, it it makes me tearful, honestly, to think about all, all of the women and children who have experienced this and how, how their lives have been affected, how kids haven't been able to use their own voices, how there's people out there that haven't reported this in fear or shame or lack of support. I think that's one thing that just infuriates me is that there are so many parents out there that refuse to acknowledge these reports. And I, I can't tell you the amount of women I have worked with that they know that their mother was aware of this, especially if it's childhood abuse. The 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 women that their parents, at least their mom, knew about their sexual abuse and did nothing about it blows me away. Inside of the church and not. It's happening and you know, I think that when those of us that haven't been sexually abused you, you sometimes like watch this in a movie or you hear people talk about it and they're like, that's never going to happen to me. And the goddamn rape culture that's like, well, if that girl just wouldn't have gotten drunk at the party, it, it's happening in, in your house. It's happening to your next door neighbor. It's happening to your niece and nephew. It's happening to the people that you think you trust the most. And I know I'm, I again I'm going to apologize. Um, there's just been some events that's happened in the last couple of days that personal events of friends and uh, some other people that I've talked to to where people have told me and opened up and and shared their vulnerable story of them being sexually abused especially as a child and I have just I feel so passionate and strongly about making this episode and whether or not I'm a water sign, and I'm a therapist, and I'm emotional, and I'm intuitive, and I can feel this from people, I I am apologizing, which is stupid because I'm making a podcast about emotions. I get that, but I'm apologizing because I know that this this episode, I I'm angry. But I'm angry because we have turned our head to this subject. There are people out there that genuinely have known that their children have been affected and abused and they have chosen to turn their head. There are people out there that have chosen to hear people's stories in, in people's most hopeless moments and turn their head and not given that child or that family the appropriate resources or the appro- or turned it over to the appropriate resources authorities to get help and to advocate for that child and it just it blows my mind that that there's so much evil that is a mother or as a parent and I'm not saying everyone I know that but this is for the the small percentage of those that this is happening to that they have turned their head and they have turned a blind eye and they have chosen to do nothing and it's greatly affected people the adults that I work with, the friends, the friends that I have that this has affected them, it absolutely breaks my heart. And and to, to that, I know that that's a selfish statement, right? Because it's not about me. This is about the victim going through all of the chaos and the heartbreak and the confusion and the turmoil and the shame and the guilt and all the other emotions that they go back and forth with on a daily basis. I can't tell you how many clients I have had to where whether or not this memory was known or whether or not it came up in our experience and it was suppressed, but do you know how many women feel crazy, feel like they are in denial, feel like they have made this story up, feel like that they don't have to have a voice and feeling like they have to prove it to themselves. And I've literally known people who have journaled about this for 20, 30 years. They have drawn pictures. They have had nightmares. They have had flashbacks. And they have gotten invalidated from people around them. And they have gotten dismissed by therapists. They have gotten dismissed by by people that they have loved and cared for as parental figures that are supposed to protect them, which has left them feeling so crazy and isolated and alone to think that none of that actually happened and they spend more time questioning this. And I shouldn't just say women because I know that that sexual abuse is happening to males as well. Unfortunately, that those statistics are even lower in the sense of what we have for data to report that. But the amount of males that are getting abused, especially as children, are just as significant and just as important because there's also males out there. Males that if even more so, live in a state of denial and shame and especially with their sexuality of knowing that that they were sexually abused as a young child, usually by another male, and they can't speak about it because more so of the shame that's going to come from their questioning, quote unquote, questioning their sexuality or even again, the rape culture of did they ask for it or are they more feminine or the fact that just a predator an adult predator preyed on them the statistics are there but it's it's less than what we have because it hasn't been reported it hasn't been documented because we don't talk about this and there are adults that hide these numbers there are adults that know this information and choose not to for whatever reason report it to authorities to report it to the hospitals to press charges whatever that may be we don't have statistics for that and and let me back up and I guess say, yes, we have statistics, but even the statistics, you can look this up online and they will tell you, quote, "There is no strong scientific evidence to prove these the, to prove these numbers. The guesstimate that we have or that, that they show is anywhere between one in six and one in nine men have been sexually abused throughout their childhood. And they tell you, It's probably a wrong estimate because we just don't have the numbers. We know the negative experiences, but we don't have the numbers. And the sad thing is, is there's, there's still people and you, maybe some of you out there have have said that as I am even talking of one in six or one in two women. That can't be true. That's, That's not likely. I'm sorry to tell you, but it is. Whether or not these numbers are 100% accurate, I will tell you based off professional experience, statistics, numbers from different organizations that pull this research, it is happening. It's happening all around us. And and there are people out there today in this moment that are greatly affected by this. And, And for some people, they haven't even started their journey of healing. And it just, it it absolutely breaks my heart. I know, um, so again, I looked up the statistics on this. Um, There was a national study done in 2003 that showed that 14% of men had been, in this study, again, there was 14% of men that were sexually abused by the time they were age 18. So 14% of men, and and I'd have to go back because I honestly don't remember how many people are included in the study and what that looks like. So again, I know these numbers may be skewed and flawed a little bit, um, but even that, I mean, I will admit, I think that that's a low number. I think that if we really were to do a, a honest and open research study, that the numbers would probably be a little bit higher. Um and unfortunately i think that like this is something that's changing in our society i think that people are putting more emphasis and so i'm hopeful that the statistics will change or at least become a little bit more accurate um but this is what we have right now and the again going back to that hollywood image We we have that kind of stereotypical image of the the stranger that's gonna jump out of the bushes or that person that takes advantage of the girl at the party. Well, unfortunately, over 90% of the cases, the victim knows their perpetrator. And typically of those 90 cases, or 90%, excuse me, of those 90% of the cases, it's their father. It's their uncle it's their brother, it's their cousin, it's someone very, very close whom that victim trusts or that victim looked up to as an adult protector who completely has shattered and and really honestly fucked that paradigm for that victim's life. Excuse my language, but over, over three-fourths of the cases are acquaintances or family members that that victim knows. So As much as you don't want to believe the statistics, if you're questioning any of this, or as much as you don't want to believe that it's an uncle or brother or dad, the statistics are there. You can look this up. You can talk about it probably to your friends, whether or not you choose to believe in the reality that it is, it's happening and it's very much there. This subject obviously really like hits home with me, um, professionally and personally, if any of you are following along and listen to my last episode of my interview with Nick, um, he very graciously, vulnerably shared his history of abuse. And I I just need to share some other experience of this to, I guess, bring awareness and and bring light to this subject to give real-life examples because I think it's important. To hear that, there I know I know as a victim that there's so much shame in regards to this, and there's so much heaviness or evilness, maybe is a better word, to admit and to say the words "I was sexually abused," and it it is a process. And it, it, again, like I talked to Nick about this, right? Of going through this is a process. And for some people, the abuse has been suppressed and and there are people that don't remember it. There are people that go through their life really struggling with mental illnesses such as anxiety or depression, eating disorders, gambling addictions, whatever, um, as a result, as a way of them coping with this awful, evil, traumatic experience that's happened to them. If you're conscious of it, yeah, it makes it a lot easier to start healing and to work on things but if you're not, it even creates so much more confusion for a person. And until that, that you know, there's light brought into that subject and you're able to remember the suppressed memories or you're re- or you're able to go back to that and have some type of memory or visualization or something about it it often feels hopeless. It it feels like your mental health is just there and it feels like you're broken and you're that, you know, repeating that same record over and over again because you just don't have answers to it. And you know, we've you've probably heard me say if you're following along too on this on this podcast journey that trauma is real and it it affects so many people and I think sexual abuse is one of the most like prevalent diagnoses or issues or experiences that a person can go through that truly explains a lot of people's unhealthy coping skills and, and explains a lot of what a presenting symptom for a person is. And what I mean by that is when a person goes through trauma, especially if you're, you know, 4, 5, six, 10, 12, 14 years old, you're young, your your brain is fluid, and you may not have the memory or want to remember. And so you've developed, you know, addictions, or you've developed unhealthy relationships, or you've developed attention seeking behaviors, or something along those lines, to really gain a sense of control, to really gain a sense of desire and and love and support in an, in a healthy way. But this traumatizing experience has made it to where you you don't feel loved. You don't feel worthy. You don't feel like you can trust people. You often feel like you're just that material object that's meant for sex or pleasure or that just needs to be there because of this experience. And, you know, those are maybe worst case scenarios on a lower scale. You know, a person can develop intense control issues, intense obsessive behaviors, um attitude or behavior kind of adjustments because of the experience that's happened to them and for those people where it's not as obvious it's not as maybe as extreme or as intense the the connection or the associations to the trauma or to the abuse and and what these controlling behaviors or symptoms are today that you're struggling with it may not be there it may not be as easy easily accessible or it may not be as easy to relate or understand And I, I can speak that very clearly when it comes to the personal experiences that my clients have shared with me. I can't tell you how many times, um, this, this conversation has come up and more often than not, the, in processing, the victim usually comes out and, and says something along the lines of, you know, I think my mom knew. Or I remember going to tell my mom that this is happening. Or my mom walked in on my dad, you know, molesting me. And she did nothing. And and I was told I was crazy. I was told to keep it quiet. And it, it just breaks my heart because forever that person is meant to just internalize and live with these demons. And to keep it quiet in so much more of a larger capacity than just... Not wanting to talk about it and not wanting to admit their victim. it's, It's so much deeper on that and so many different layers. And I think that Nick gave good insight in the sense that like this in a way was something he was hiding from. It's something that so many people have hidden from for so long because the acceptance part is really so hard. And... I only can tell you firsthand from like my clients, right, in these situations that usually the session that it gets of where that survivor gets to admit that they were once a victim of sexual abuse from their dad or uncle or brother or cousin or whoever, it's a both heartbreaking session. But like the most empowering moment in their life to finally gain a sense of control over, over everything, over their abuser, over everything they've been through, and finally to feel like they are in control over their life and they, they no longer feel crazy, they no longer feel broken. And as a, as a therapist, sure, it, it's, it's, an, it's an incredible moment for me to see that in them it's it's a powerful moment it's an emotional moment but I think there's a part of me that also my heart breaks to know that this person has struggled for so long in their life with this and that it took them being so vulnerable and so raw to get to this moment where they were able to take back that control right because as some of us has experienced like the, you don't wake up tomorrow and admit the abuse and unusually start healing, right? We're talking about a person who has been a victim of abuse for 20, 30 years, have hid this from their friends or family or their partners that have had the scars internalized and their wounds just oozing and seeping of this infection that they have carried with them for so long that's the part that breaks my heart that people feel like they couldn't have the voice they didn't know who to turn to and that society has created this rape culture where they point the finger backwards to say well what were you doing what were you wearing what would you could have done differently well did you say yes did you say no did you push them off of you and it just it makes me so mad. It makes me mad as a professional. It makes me mad as a person. It makes me mad as a woman that we've just allowed that in some, and, and, in some capacity allowed that to be normalized in our society. I just, I just don't get it. And I know that nobody really has the answers. And I know that there's different factors to create that understanding that we could, you know, probably spend a whole other episode on, but I mean it really it it there are people's lives that are really greatly being affected and and it's sad because this topic is not talked about it's not understood it's not shared we're not checking in and let alone the person that's going through their experience like they don't know what the hell they're doing they they they're helpless and they're confused and they don't know what direction to even start with to start putting their life back on track. And I don't care if that's there. there's that teenager that they had the awareness and something's happened and it's happened more recently that they've started to put their life back together or tried, or that person that's waited 20, 30 years to admit this and finally seek the help and, and seek the resources they need in order to heal. And just just maybe to bring like more awareness to to maybe some of the real life examples that I've had. I've worked with a person who very, very vividly has known her abuse has happened pretty much from the year that she was born. And she has carried it with her for years and years and years because the abuse kept happening. It happened again and again, over and over and over and over again throughout her infancy, through her childhood, through her teenage years. And, and she very much knew this was happening she has very vivid, detailed memories of this that she has carried with her. And she has had multiple therapists, or she did have multiple therapists, to where some of them brushed her off, some of them told, gave her a misdiagnosis instead of trauma, but gave her personality disorders, told her she was crazy, told her literally that her case was too intense and that she needed to go find a different therapist. And... There, and she's been invalidated within her family because other family members that experienced the same abuse, it wasn't talked about. It wasn't validated by her parents. The abuse actually was happening from her dad, so it, it wasn't validated from her mom, from her siblings. And as she got married, it still became invalidated in the sense that she would journal about it for hours over and over again and try to go to therapy and try to heal. And ultimately, it, it, she was trying to prove herself not crazy because she felt like she was making up all of these memories and, and that nobody would believe her. And so her journaling wasn't to process and to help her as much as it was to prove herself, to prove to everyone around her that these experiences did happen, that she wasn't lying, she wasn't making it up. I've worked with a client where she came in initially to grieve the loss of one of her really good friends and through her therapy and through her deeper internal work with me, somehow it came out. There were memories that came back to her to where she was sexually abused by her brother. And she and I had had conversations probably for about a year. She had such a hard time accepting that her brother, whom she still had a relationship with at the time, did that to her and how she couldn't remember and how she could go home for Christmas and be in part of this like loving community of her family, knowing that her brother had abused her multiple times throughout her childhood. I've had another personal connection. She has lived her entire life with no memories of this. She went on her therapeutic journey for for other reasons, also for an internal journey for for internal reasons and came out of memories, of being abused. I've had women sit down on my couch and give me very graphic details of these experiences that they can remember and they just want to live their life without remembering the trauma, without it being a replayed movie that they experience over and over and over again. I realize that the, the information and the memories and the PTSD that comes from this comes in different capacities. And that is okay. So so if you're one of these survivors and victims that have gone through abuse, that you're struggling to put the pieces together, just know that's okay. There is no manual that says how you're supposed to do this. Trauma, if you've listened to any of my other podcasts, trauma affects everyone differently, right? And the trauma of figuring out why it happened is usually not what makes it traumatic it's about how you were supported and how you process the events after it happened so what i mean by that is if the, if you were one of the lucky ones to where the abuse happened or or a parent or a figure an adult figure figured it out and helped you through it it was reported you went through the process of dcfs or you went to counseling or you had these experiences to where you had the support around you chances are the level of trauma was much less intense for you. If you were one that the abuse happened over and over again throughout your childhood, throughout your life, and there was no support, there was no one to protect you, there was no one to talk about this with, the level of intensity for you to process or for the emotional capacity that you're going through is much higher. For those of you that have no memories yet or have had inklings or have had weird moments or weird sensations, that's okay for those of you out there that sex is a really hard topic for you, even in a healthy relationship. For those of you that don't want to be touched, for those of you that can't have sex in certain positions, for those of you that don't want to be intimate or have to have the light on or have to keep your clothes on or whatever that may be because of your feelings of unsafety or or because of your flashbacks or because of your experience, it is okay that they all look different. It is okay to not be okay. It's okay to be where you're at with this. But what's not okay is for you to be silent about it. Whether it's reporting it to your therapist or an authority or a school teacher, your partner, your best friend, whoever, what's not okay is for you to stay silent. I'm pretty sure I say this in every single episode. You're capable of changing. You're capable of letting this go. And it doesn't mean, I tell my clients all the time, I I, I don't have a magical wand where I can just go in and zap this memory or these experiences from you, but I can help you learn to process them and let go of them to where they no longer feel like they are just creating a dysfunction or chaos of your life. You can process them and get to a place where you don't feel like they are just taking over your life of where you have to fight every single day to avoid the memories or to avoid a trigger of being sent back into that place or sent back into that sense of hypervigilance with this. You can change. You can process this. You can help your brain process this information to be stored in a healthy way. You can no longer have panic attacks. You can have sex in a healthy way. You can live your life without this being that gloomy awful shit storm of a cloud that's haunting you right now and I'm telling you this because I really want you to hear my words I want you to believe that there is that possibility that you can make that happen but it's not going to happen by you just being silent it's not going to happen by you just wishing it would go away by you you know being on sleeping medication to help with the nightmares unfortunately this is something that has to be processed and looked at and and I know I've had this conversation and again you guys have probably heard me lecture this trauma has to be processed and and I don't know if I've used this example or not but I'm going to use it again when we've had these experiences happen to us right your brain is going to store it in an unhealthy way unless you've had the support to process it healthy okay so in an example of where you have no memory and those memories have been repressed and suppressed, right? The memories that you're having or maybe that you don't have are stored in the trash can of our brain, which is the amygdala in the hippocampus area, okay? It is not being processed through the prefrontal cortex, right? So meaning the frontal lobe of your brain. So basically where your forehead is. Information, so good memories. Think about it this way the happiest day of your life, how often are you having flashbacks of that? The greatest sex of your life, how often are you going back to those moments and replaying it and reliving it and experiencing those good, happy butterfly feelings? Chances are not often, right? Think about the worst sexual moment of your life. Think about the worst day in your life. Think about the, the worst trauma you have been through. How often can you relate and how quickly can you go back to that memory, to that moment, feel those feelings and be affected by it? If you can do that in a negative memory and it creates that fear or the hypervigilance or the negative emotions, that typically means that you haven't processed that memory. And you're probably sitting there being like, okay, cool, but how do I process I am a big believer in bilateral stimulation. It is, the, in a sense, the foundational work of EMDR. I am passionate about this. I did an EMDR episode if you want to hear more about this. And, and I'm not a pigeonhole therapist. I don't believe in that. But I, I believe in the processing components of EMDR. And what that is, bilateral stimulation, is eye movements. Right, So so we process information by walking, by talking, by journaling, by scribbling, by doing certain things, right? A, it's about our intention. So meaning that if you just go to the gym and you're working out and you're triggered and your intention is you're just trying to avoid it, you're processing it differently than you would be as if you set the intention to sit down and process the information, okay? Processing means that you need to go into it freely, without judgment, with intention, and really get all of those nasty, awful details that need to be looked at and talked about and identified and get it out of you. Okay. An example of this, I tell clients, is that the story, if you're able to tell that negative story, the story that you have rehearsed over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again is the story that you have probably told a hundred people. You're comfortable with it, the emotions have lessened you you probably don't get triggered in certain moments and you have become really good about sharing that version of the story and that's awesome. Just because you're really good about sharing that version of the story doesn't mean that there's not chapters or details or lines from that storybook that need to actually be read and talked about. So when you're processing this information, the bilateral movement comes into play. So for example, in EMDR, we use eye movement, whether that's the movement from hands or tapping or theratappers or something like that to stimulate the back and forth movement. Other examples that you can do at home are tapping, journaling, coloring, scribbling, anything back to back, right? To get get those eyes to move back and forth. How you process that information is setting that intention, right? If you're having a panic attack, avoiding it isn't going to do anything except for you're creating that band-aid approach, right? Grounding and practicing mindfulness is awesome because you can sit there and come back to that moment and put yourself in that present moment and calm down. But it's not a sense of like you calm down and then you just carry on with your life. The processing comes into play of like, what did you just experience? What are the thoughts going through your head? What are the emotions that are flooding through your body? What are the memories and how detailed are those memories that are coming back to you that you're reliving or that that flashback or that, that nightmare said? So when we talk about like how you recover from this, I'm never going to stop pushing you to process, right? Processing the information and looking at the lines that are being missed as you read your storybook. I know like the one thing I can tell you is like, I know I'm not dumb, right? It's, it's experiencing all the things that you're avoiding and that you don't want to look at or, or go through or feel or, or go back to why? Because those memories are uncomfortable. I get it. Those memories are sometimes awful. So I'm not telling you to do this alone, right? This podcast is not me trying to, to tell you as a therapist or to give you therapy advice to heal you on your own. I'm telling you that you can make changes, but you have to process the information and practicing basic coping skills just to alleviate a panic attack or to get rid of the nightmare or to get rid of that flashback isn't processing. That's helping you cope, which is important. Absolutely. But it's not doing the intensive trauma work that you should be doing in order to heal. And there's different variations that you can experience from this. Um, there's different ways that therapists are going to have you experience and process this. Um, I, you know, I'm first one to admit there are stronger therapists and there are not strong therapists and there are therapists out there that don't want to do the trauma work. And there's some that want to keep it surface level. So as I said, in the finding, finding a therapist episode, do your research, ask your questions and find the right fit for you. Find the right method. And maybe it's not through therapy. Maybe it's through, other journeys or mindfulness or, or guides or things like that that can help you. But ask your questions just because someone is a life coach or they have experience or or they have certain ways doesn't necessarily mean it's the healthy, correct way. I, I know that I can speak in my behalf of typically for my clients, the way that I, I structure sessions is anywhere from about nine to 12 months it takes a person, depending on you know their resiliency levels, depending on how complex their trauma is. Obviously that that time frame can change. But I will say this, the way that I help clients and and co and build their coping skills, I won't let that client struggle month after month or week after week. Is it going to be a struggle? Sure, but I won't have them to where they are just completely dysfunctional or they're just completely vulnerable to where they feel like they have to isolate, or they have to sit in their room, or they can't be around friends. It's, it's comfortable with being uncomfortable, and it's really maintaining that window of tolerance, being able to go with the emotions of life, but being able to find that comfort to where it just doesn't make you really like dysfunctional, or isolated, or manic, like trying to keep you comfortable as you process it. So, I mean, I kind of, I, I, sorry, I went on kind of like a therapy ramble there. Um, the point to all of this is to say that you can change and this is something you can heal from. But you need to be honest with yourself first and have the admittance to yourself that if something did happen, go talk to your best friend. Go talk to someone about it and have them help you through this process. And if you're that ally out there, that your daughter or your partner or someone is struggling and you don't know what to do for them to help them, listen, you're not going to fix it. There's no fixing this. It is that person's journey. It is that person's storybook that they have to go through and there's no time frame and there's no agenda. You just need to be the ally that helps find the resources, the therapist, you you help, can help hold them accountable to practice their coping skills you can ask that question, ask those questions or create that safe place for that person to come home to in their hard days. But fixing it isn't an option. You just have to go through it. And I know that sounds awful, but unfortunately, there's no logic in emotion. You're not going to be able to just poof, magically wake up tomorrow and have it gone. It's a process that you're capable of going through with the help of others. And if your abuse, if your case hasn't been reported, hasn't been taken to the right authorities or the right people, I'm going to strongly encourage you to. I, you know, the, the reporting and, and the charging and the going to court and, and that's a whole other conversation. I mean, clearly like there's so much I want to say about that, but it's a whole other conversation. And I know that going through like reporting it, it, it may create more headache or it may create quote unquote trouble within the family, but I'm, I, I can't I emphasize enough and I will never, ever, ever forget the moment that I had with Nick in his interview where he openly Talked about it and he explained that there's a lot of shame and guilt and something he's never admitted before. And I'm going to encourage you the same as I did him. Your story matters. Your story will impact so many other people. And I promise you that. But until you share it, until you use your voice, no one else's lives are going to change. And it's not about being a victim that's seeking attention or seeking you know, anything from other people, it's about that awareness. Look at the statistics. Go back to the beginning of this episode. There are people out there that every minute of every day are going through this. One in two women. So chances are your big group of friends, your big group in your family, chances are there's someone that's been affected by some type of sexual assault in some capacity. And all I can do, the, I guess the point with this podcast is I'm going to only encourage you to use your voice and ask for help. Share your story. Ask for help and just know that you're not alone. There are people waiting to hold this energy for you to help you through this process. And the more awareness that we can bring the more women unfortunately and I shouldn't say women excuse me the more people that we can br- bring together that have experienced this will will bring hopefully more awareness more resources more help to people that have been a victim to abuse and again not just women and I'm so sorry I keep using that i, I because it does happen to men and it does happen to all types of people and so it's not just a women issue It's a society issue. It's a people issue that we all need to bring more awareness to. And we only can do that by sharing our stories, becoming allies, by talking about it. And and those of you that have maybe gotten the help and lived a different life and let go of this trauma and let go of this, you're even more of an incredible inspiration because you give hope to those that are in darkness. You give hope to those that feel like they're never going to get through this. Talk about it. Ask your friends. Share your story of how you made it through, what you did in your darkest days. Because I promise you that if we share that and we talk about it, it's going to make a difference in someone else's life. And honest to God, even if it's one person, isn't that worth it? The way I look at it, that if you could go back in time and you could be that adult version that's stepping in to save that childhood version of yourself, wouldn't you do something? To protect you? Because sure as shit, no one else did. In that moment that you were abused or harmed, no one else did. So I'm going to encourage you to be that light. Try and use your voice because I promise it's going to make the difference in someone's life. No one should have to go through this alone. No one should have to go through it, period. but, But we're here and people are struggling and people are genuinely affected by this. Use your voice, be an ally, be a friend, check in on people. And I and I know I lecture on that, but it's, it's a fact. I'm sorry. Like the awareness needs to be their mental health. This needs to be talked about. Sexual abuse doesn't need to be normalized, but we as a society need to bring awareness, bring resources, come together as a community, as victims and survivors, and just all have each other's back. No one should have to go through this alone. No one should have to feel like they have to spend 20 or 30 years of their lives proving a story to themselves. No one should have to go through their life questioning who they are, their existence, their worthiness, if they're ever going to feel loved or whole again because this experience happened, because someone else took that power from you. No one should have to feel like that. And I can tell you, and, and I hope that my words are hitting home to you, It doesn't matter if these experiences happen to you, it doesn't take away how special and how loved you can be. Because at the end of the day, that little kid that is inside of us, that kid that is hurting, that adult that's hurting, the adult that has had carried these scars, you matter. You are important. You are special. And you are not broken. You're beaten and you're bruised and we all have those. But the more we take care of each other, the more our wounds can heal and the more support we can feel, the better off we can feel. So I honestly, I don't know if there's a point to this episode other than just bringing awareness and and encouraging people to share their stories to Reach out to me if you want to, if you have the vulnerability or, or if you have the courage to share your story publicly on this podcast, if you want to use your voice for a greater capacity, reach out to me. I I would love to bring the awareness. I would love to have people share their stories because it's, I know it's one thing coming from me where I'm this middle person that sharing experiences and professionally can give you statistics or facts or things like that. But I know that it's so much more powerful and meaningful to hear from another person, to hear a personalized story. So I encourage each of you, if you want to, please reach out to me. I would love to have you on. I would love to have you share your voice and and just let your strengths and how amazing you are shine. If not, check in on your friends. Remember, don't fix anything. If you were a friend that just got told about someone else's abuse if you're a parent that just found out about your kids being abused you can't fix it you only can help support them as they go down this this path and just know there are resources there are people there is a community out here with arms wide open to wrap you in and to support you as you go through this process and there is no timeline there is no right or wrong way to do this this is your experience and your journey and it's going to look differently for every single person out there and that is okay but the more we share our story the more ideas the more help the more the more ways we can come together to give hope and bring awareness to how we can overcome this so thank you for those of the, the thanks the, thank you for those out there that are listening to this long ramble i hope that this Is touching you in some capacity I hope that it's giving you bravery or or hope for you though those of you that are struggling and like I said if those of you have overcome this and you're a survivor use your voice get a megaphone and help people and help them be that light that they all need that's all I can ask for and bottom line Never, ever, ever forget how special you are, how worthy you are of living happiness, and how gosh dang loved each one of you are.